Hi, this is Pastor Mike from Compass in Monterey County. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I hope it encourages you and gives you confidence that Jesus is by your side and that his plans for you are to bless you. Judgment ruins relationships, especially when our judgments are wrong. That's why Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Now, where do you think in marriage we most frequently judge one another? Is it the way we spend money? Is it the way we drive? Is it the way we parent? Where do you think we most frequently judge one another as a husband and wife? Well, I'll tell you, far and away, the most frequent judgment we make about one another is one another's needs. We judge one another's needs as irrelevant and as silly. We all have needs. We have physical needs. Every one of us needs water, and we need air, and we need food to survive. We also have emotional needs. We all do. But in our emotional needs, our needs are not the same. Every one of us has a different constellation of emotional needs. And the tendency of the human nature is to judge whatever is different from us. Whatever is different from us, our tendency is to say it's irrelevant or it's wrong. It's just wrong. And so when we come to needs, we begin to judge the other person's needs as silly and wrong. And that's disastrous for the marriage relationship. Because God has put these needs within all of us as an opportunity for us to become irresistible to our wife or our husband. It's in these needs that we cannot meet ourselves. that when our husband or our wife meets those needs, we bond together. That's God's design for two becoming one. Because we are loved most deeply when our husband or wife meets these God-given needs. You see, love is what you do. And it's not enough in a marriage to have a commitment. Commitment means we learn the things that make the other person feel loved and then do them. Because love in the scriptures is not a feeling. Love is what you do. Most marriages do not know this. And that's why many marriages today probably here among us have made the mistake of making fun of the needs of the person you married. We have no idea how much we have hurt the person next to us when we have ignored their needs, or worse, ridiculed them. Freud famously said that we are never so vulnerable to pain as when we fall in love. And that's so true. There is nothing more painful 
than to have your deepest needs rejected and ridiculed by the person you love. Nothing is more painful than that. When this happens in a marriage, usually our reaction is anger. And in almost every marriage, there comes a point somewhere along the line. Usually, it's a couple of years after the wedding. There comes a a point at where needs are now being ignored or being ridiculed. And when that happens, most of us deal with it by a negative reaction ourselves. We get angry. We blow our top. We lecture the other person. We try to compel them to meet our needs because it is the right thing to do. We become directly or passive aggressively aggressive towards them. We make demands which are threats towards them. Do it or else. And it's understandable because we're desperate. Because we have given ourselves to this person expecting them to meet our needs. And if they don't meet our needs, who will? In order to stay faithful in this marriage, it feels like we're dooming ourselves to a life of not having some very important needs met in us. We promised that we would give to this person the exclusive right to meet these needs in our life. We did that at our wedding. We'd allow no one else to meet those needs. And so we become desperate. Because if the person we married refuses to meet these deepest needs, whatever they are in us, we're up a creek without a paddle. Because either we're no longer faithful or we don't get those needs met. And I'll bet many of you have resigned yourself to that this morning. You're in exactly that position. You're dying inside because you've married someone who is not taking your particular needs seriously. And so you start to get angry and you make demands, but it never works because of this universal principle. Negativity never produces anything positive. And that's why Jesus, in Luke chapter 6, says what he does in verse 27. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Can't you just hear it there? Jesus is saying, stay positive. Don't turn negative because negativity never produces anything positive. It's a loser's game. Jesus is saying in this passage here, love your enemies. That love is not 50-50. Not God's kind of love. It's not this, I'll do to you as you do to me. I'll treat you as you treat me. God makes it very clear. Regardless of what other people do, you do the loving thing. Because Jesus is saying here, doing the loving thing is your only hope for overcoming unlove. It's your only hope. 
Because if you try to do it negatively in any fashion, you're going to get a negative reaction. You will not get love back. Is it working for you? (laughs) I mean, when you make demands and you get angry, is it getting you love? It never does. Maybe short term, but not in the long term. It starts a war. And instead of of getting love, what we get back is is more war, uh, more anger and tension from them. Instead, Jesus says, do what is loving, especially when they don't deserve it. Because that's your only hope for changing a person. And so he starts with this jawbreaker. Love your enemies of all people who don't deserve it. Your enemy doesn't deserve your love. But you see, this is always God's strategy with us, isn't it? How did God make us responsive to him? Do you remember Romans chapter 5 verse 8? While we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. You see, he went first. And that's what turned us around when we were unresponsive to God. We became responsive to God as we began to experience his love in spite of our behavior. When we began to experience His grace, that's what turned us around. There's probably not a single one of us here this morning that was turned towards God by an intellectual argument. We all were turned towards God if we have turned towards God. Because we began to experience His unmerited love. And understand the crucifixion as that. And now He comes and He says... Do what you've seen me do. Do to others. Imitate me because my way is the best way. Lecturing, demanding, punishing does not create responsiveness in a person. Only acts of love turn an unresponsive person into a responsive person. As hard as that is, that's the only thing. That works. And that's what I want to explain today. Let me say it this way. If you want to motivate your mate to begin to be responsive to your needs, the only way to do that is to go first in filling their needs. A few years ago, I came across... This idea that I mentioned, I mentioned a few years ago in a series called the Love Bank. Understanding that each of us has a love bank is the single most important idea I have ever come across in understanding relationships. Stephen Covey calls it our emotional bank account. And Ross Campbell, a very famous psychologist who specializes in children, calls it our love tank. And Campbell writes this in his book, How to Really Love a Child. He says, every child 
has a love tank waiting to be filled. When a child really feels loved, he will develop normally. But when his love bank is empty, that child will misbehave. Much of the behavior of children is motivated by a love tank that is reading empty. Is that not right? I mean, you get into a classroom or you see some children down at the mall and they're really acting out. If you know anything about kids, you know that the reason they're acting out is because they're not getting the kind of love they need. Some way or another, they're saying, notice me, pay attention to me, hug me, love me. And every teacher who's worth anything knows that when you've got misbehavior in a classroom, what you've got to do is not deal with the obvious, deal with the root problem, which is start to love that child up. Because their love tank is reading empty. And a lot of kids are today. And you know it works the same way with you and me, doesn't it? When our love tank is reading zero, that's when we start to act out, just like kids. And we begin to do things that non-verbally are trying to communicate, you're not loving me the way I need to be loved. Almost always when there is stress in a marriage and people come into me for counseling and they're on the edge of divorce, that's right where I go. I know their love tank is empty. And I've got to get the seed, the other one to see. They've got to start making deposits in that love bank in order to turn that person around. Every one of us has a love bank. And you have an emotional account a love account with every person you know. There's not a person you know that you don't have an account for inside your heart. And the people who are your best friends are people who've done a lot of things to make you feel important, to make you feel loved. And they've made a whole lot of deposits in your love bank. And that's why they're your best friend. Now, why in the world does a person who once used to be your friend come to the place where you don't want to be around them anymore? You know, that happens, doesn't it? Ever happened to you? A friendship goes sour, and why did that happen? They started making withdrawals from your love bank. They started doing things that were deducts. Now, you didn't sit there going, deduct, deduct, deduct. But it was happening because as you were hurt and felt insignificant and unloved, they were making withdrawals from your love bank to the point when it gets in the red, you close the account. And you've closed the account on some people. You no longer want to be around them. Now, this works especially in marriage. Everything you do affects people emotionally, but especially the person you married. I came across an article that tries to help clueless men understand their wife's love bank and how this deduct deposit thing works. Uh, I think this is (laughs) a great article. (laughs) It's called How to Make a Woman Happy. 
It's real simple, guys. Do something she likes and you get points. Don't do what she likes and you get deducts. <laughs> and then they give some examples of how this works. And I want to read this to kind of help you guys out a little bit here. And we're going to do more of this at the retreat, so be sure to sign up for it. <laughs> Situations. Going to a party. Stay by her side the entire night. One point. Leave her to talk to a good college friend. Minus two points. If your good friend's name is Tiffany, minus ten. If Tiffany is gorgeous, minus thirty. Her birthday. You take her to dinner. One point. You take her to dinner at a sports bar and watch the game. Minus five. You take her to a sports bar for her birthday and paint your face with colors of your team. Minus 20. (laughs) Now this one you really need to listen to. Situation. She asks you, do I look fat? You instantly reply, no, not at all. One point. You hesitate a nanosecond, minus five. (laughs) You ask, where are you talking about? (laughs) You need to make an appointment with me this week. Everything you do is either a deduct or a deposit in the love bank of the person you marry. Now you noticed in that, didn't you, guys? You only get one point for what's good. But you can get deducts at many multiples over that. And I know a lot of you, you think taking your wife on a cruise is thousands of points and then you can watch football all season long and it's deducts, but you got so many points it doesn't matter. You don't understand, you only got one point for the cruise. (laughs) Am I right, women? One woman down here is raising her hand, five, maybe five. But those just, you use those up in one day. You only get one point, but you get multiples with a woman of deducts if you hurt her. Like I did last Sunday, I got a big deduct. (laughs) When I shared with you (laughs) that Susie doesn't get our Christmas cards out until Easter. Well, I won't describe to you what it was like coming home. But I knew it was time for a road trip. (laughs) And I don't know if it's just being the experienced counselor I am or God who spoke to me and said, you need to go shopping. (laughs) So Sunday afternoon, I was at Macy's and some other stores and I found two great outfits for her and I brought them home. True story, brought them home. Gave them to him, and I could just see the points going in there. She kept them both. I didn't mean for her to keep them both. I wanted her to keep one of them. But I tell you, I didn't say, honey, you got to take one back, because that would have been more deducts. 
Everything you do is a deduct or a deposit. And great marriages understand that love principle. By the way, Susie's in Phoenix visiting her mother. (laughs) And so that'll just be our little secret. (laughs) Don't tell her. (laughs) Anyway, great marriages understand the love bank. And it's very serious. Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 6. It's called the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, lectures and demands do not make people responsive. It only makes them feel unresponsive and angry towards us. It's as simple as that. And in my own marriage, when I first started out in our marriage, I did not understand this principle of the love bank and love busters, what gets deducts for you. And uh, the reason was is because I did marriage like I saw my family do marriage, just like you do. Very few of you have read or studied what it makes what makes a marriage great. And you see, in my family, my mother and dad were on the verge of divorce most of the years I was growing up. And mostly I remember painful fights between them in our house. And the reason is, is because of the families they grew up in. My mother had a lot of broken spots in her. And so did my dad. Because, you see, they weren't Christians, and they didn't go to a church, and they didn't have the benefit of any kind of input to give them new ideas. So there was a lot of bad modeling before me. Of course, when I went into marriage, I thought this is the way marriages, you know, guys act. And one day I, <laughs> I caught Susie reading a book. The title was, Your Husband's Midlife Crisis. I was only 27. (laughs) That's the truth. 27. And what I found was that Susie was studying men and marriage. And she began to do the golden rule first. Do to me as she would have me do unto her. And over time, what it did in me was she made so many deposits. I didn't understand this at the time, but she made so many deposits in my love bank. It was impossible not to be responsive. It was impossible not to want to give back. And so I began to find out what made her happy and made her feel loved. And I changed Not because she demanded it, because that would have never worked. She made me want to change. And I'm telling you, the only reason anybody ever changes is because they want to. And so the trick is creating the want to. And the way she did it is by making so many deposits without asking anything in return that I became responsive. That's called grace. 
And most of us here are operating in our relationships, not on grace, but by works righteousness. You get what you deserve. We may be Christians, but we're sure not living like Christians. We do not give grace very much. I came across an article that I thought years a few years ago that has meant so much to me, and maybe, maybe this would mean something to you. I have no way of knowing whether or not you married the wrong person, but I do know that many people have a lot of wrong ideas about marriage. And I will be the first to admit that it is possible that you did marry the wrong person. However, if you treat the wrong person like the right person, you could well end up having married the right person after all. On the other hand, if you marry the right person and treat that person wrong, you certainly will end up married to the wrong person. It's far more important to be the right kind of person than to marry the right person. Whether you married the right person or the wrong person is therefore primarily up to you. He's talking about going first, meeting the needs of the other person, which are your opportunity to love them deeply. About ten years ago, I came across a book by Willard Harley, His Needs, Her Needs. This book is the single best book I've ever read on making a marriage great. And now I use it all the time in all my premarital counseling. almost always require the people to read this book. And right now we're doing actually a seminar. We will have various ones of these going through the winter. Taj and Christy Hussein are leading the first one. It's a workshop working through the principles of this book. And last week I talked to two people who were in that first seminar. And this book has saved their marriage. Because they've learned the principle of the golden rule. Do to others what you would have them do to you. And in terms of marriage, what that means is meet their needs the way you would like them to meet your needs. That is uncritically and enthusiastically, non-judgmentally. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule of marriage. And in this book, Harley, he lists the uh, needs of men and women. And before I read this, I, I want you to know that this just comes from thousands of couples that he's counseled. And the list could be different for you. And it could be some crossovers. That's not what matters. What matters here is everybody's got their list. But I have found these lists to be pretty accurate for men and women's needs. And on the screen, we're putting them. A man's basic needs are first sexual fulfillment recreational companionship, an attractive spouse, domestic support, and admiration. His wife to admire him. The woman's most basic needs are affection, conversation, honesty and openness, financial support, responsibility, and commitment to the family.
Now, I'll bet I know what just happened all through this audience as we put those needs up on the screen. You judged them. I'll bet most of you here dismissed one or more of those needs and said, that's silly. And you're making the same mistake in your marriage. God has put those needs into your husband or wife as your opportunity to love them very deeply and to become irresistible to them. And as you meet those needs, they're going to become more and more responsive to you. And that's how two become one. It's God's design how two become one. And when those needs are not met, two become split. One becomes split. It's God's design. But you know, we come to a man's sexual needs and a woman looks at that because they're not her needs. Always some it is. Not always her needs. She judges that as silly. And the man makes the same mistake because a woman's need is to be listened to and for conversation because they may not be his need. He judges it. And she feels unloved. It reminds me of the man who was very sick and he thought he was dying. <clears throat> and so his wife took him to the doctor for a checkup. And the doc did a very thorough checkup on him. And um, at the end of that checkup, he asked the husband if he wouldn't step out in the waiting room. He wanted to speak to his wife. And if the man had stepped out, the doc said to his wife, he's not going to die. He's going to be healthy. He just needs three things. First... He needs to lose 20 pounds. Secondly, he needs to begin to exercise. And third, he needs you to make enthusiastic love to him at least four times a week. Do you understand? She said, yes. She walked out into the waiting room and her husband asked what the doc said. He said, you're going to die. And this is the problem. That woman is unfaithful to her vows. She's committing emotional adultery. Because you see, when you marry, you give exclusive rights to the person you married to meet your needs. And you promise on the day of your wedding that you're not going to let anybody else meet those needs. And so if the person you marry decides not to meet those needs, where do you go? It's unfaithfulness to vows. Besides missing the greatest opportunity to become one. Now just consider this. No one chooses their needs, do they? God creates them in you. It's the way He wires you up. I mean, there's not a single person here who chose their needs. You were just born that way. But it's God's way of setting you up so that you need the other person. And you fall deeply in love and you become irresistible to them. And to ignore those needs is a tragic mistake in love. The second thing to consider is this. When you made your vows, you gave exclusive right to that other person to meet those needs. And so if they don't meet those needs, 
You either are doomed to a lifetime of unfulfillment or you have to go look somewhere else. And that's the beginning of affairs. That's where affairs begin. Affairs always are because someone's needs are unmet. And so I recommend to us all the golden rule of marriage. Meet the other person's needs enthusiastically and non-judgmentally, just like you want them to meet your needs. And if you do, you will find them more and more responsive to you and you'll become more and more one. I know, though, that some of you have been so hurt by the person that you're married to that you're looking at me and saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I understand. You can only do it by the power of Christ. And that's why ultimately the best marriages are built upon a spiritual foundation. And more than anything else, our marriages need two people growing closer and closer to Jesus because that's where the power is. And there are things you're going to have to do in your marriage that you can only do by the power of Jesus Christ. And that's why I urge you to get involved in these events and go deeper with Christ. Because meeting the other person's needs is your only hope of making them responsive to you. Would you pray with me? Lord, I know that for many here today, this is a very disturbing message. And I'll bet a lot of us did judge that list that was put up there. And a lot of us right now, are we know our marriage is not the best it can be. Lord, I pray all across this room that you would help us to do something new and to go a new direction, to do it your way. I pray you'd help us do that. Amen. Well, that was another practical message from Dr. Mike. If you live in our area, why not come to in-person worship at one of our three locations Sunday? Hearing Dr. Mike live is so much more powerful, so we hope you can come. <laughs>